fans love a loyal servant, a player who through thick and thin dons the same shirt for season after season, writing a place in a club's folklore and becoming a cult hero in the process. But there's another breed of footballer who fascinates us just as much. Seasoned pros who dart from one club to the next, one league to another, barely staying long enough to be remembered. Jacks of all clubs, masters of none, football journeymen. This 11 is dedicated to them. Arthur, welcome. How are you? Hello, Ben. I'm feeling less than brilliant this morning after quite an entertaining night. I'm not sure whether you can hear it in my voice. Are you a bit uh, fragile? I'm a little bit fragile. I'm very much looking forward to discussing journeymen. I'm not quite sure what it is about them, but there is certainly something that is just very enjoyable about tracking the career of a well-travelled player. Absolutely. Uh, spanning countries, leagues, different clubs, different types of clubs. I think the more vibrant and colourful a career, the better, really, for this episode. And, and certainly there's some, some names that you may well have forgotten about that hopefully you'll be reminded of today. At 11 Pods. Uh, is the Twitter handle. If you want to get in touch with us, um, please do suggest your journeyman to the 11. We'd love to hear them. Ben, I'm a bit intrigued, just as an aside. I received a voice note from you uh, a few days ago, and you appeared to be (laughs) in your car waiting to watch potentially Reading under 23s versus Maidenhead. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah, I did send you a voice clip. I I guess we can play it. I've actually made a bit of a spur of the moment decision Arthur that I was going to go to the Reading under 23s against Maidenhead God knows what I was thinking but as you can hear in my car it is absolutely bucketing it down and I don't think I've ever done this before in my life but I think I might turn around and go home is is that acceptable as a football fan oh my gosh ben yeah you didn't i did you turned around i turned around and went home i i went to a football match parked and it was raining and i came home thinking about the occasion yeah it was quite spur of the moment for you to be there anyway right yeah yeah it was you know I had a free evening and I saw on Twitter that this was this match was going and I thought why not but when I saw the bucketing rain I just I had to turn back does that make me less of a football fan I mean it was the Reading under 23s let's be honest your very attendance of the game would be quite anoraki anyway Um, (laughs) I think fair play going to it but obviously I think if you're going to commit to a match like that and you turn back I think it's even worse than a Premier League game because at least Premier League games you can watch them online watch them on TV mm. but this one Ben you could have seen the next Michael Elise I could have done I'm really sorry to the Reading under 23s but I'm happy for our listeners to decide whether I'm a true fan or not by the fact that I turn back what would you have done you're welcome to let us know So we have a 4-3-3 today. Uh, I'm not quite sure why that's relevant to the goalkeeper because the goalkeeper is <laughs> never named in any lineup. <laughs> um, but in goal, we have the mighty John Burridge. Does that ring a bell? 
No, no, it doesn't actually. Is he back in the 80s or something? He was. His career spanned several decades. Um, he was known as Budgie and he had yeah. 800 professional appearances for 29 different clubs. Goodness me, that is taking journeyman to an extreme. He actually only turned to football as the only viable alternative in his town to working in the mines, really. Right. And that idea wasn't something that thrilled him. So he became a footballer and his first big break was with Blackpool. He played 131 times and he won the, the prestigious Anglo-Italian Cup with them, wow. which was very exciting for him. So well done, John. He then moved to Villa uh, and, and that sparked a bit of a move around clubs in the Premier League and in the Championship. He moved to QPR, Newcastle, Crystal Palace and Sheffield United, making a pretty standard 50 to 60 appearances for each. And the reason I think for that was the quote that follows. Okay. He said, if I had a good season and got a club like Wolves or Palace or QPR promoted, which I did, making them millions, I'd be the first into the manager's office to ask for top wages or I was off. <laughs> I, like I think is is fair enough because he's delivering success to those clubs, but more often than not, the clubs were just like, "No, you're right, thanks." <laughs> yeah, that's a really so John, strange quirk because quite often you could move clubs to increase your your wage, right? Correct, but he he wanted top dollar at said clubs. But to be yeah. fair, I think when he did move, he was probably constantly getting wage rises. I don't think he was alienating himself to the extent that they wanted him out i think no. he then did get transfers so this is like um, a reluctant journeyman yeah exactly i think so he loved football so much that he just couldn't bring himself to leave football as a mm. career so despite being past 40 he continued moving across the country for short spells at pretty much any club that requested his services so between 1993 and 97 he played for no fewer than 14 clubs playing no more than a few games for each, if required, basically. His first league game wow. was in 1969, and his last league game was in 1996. That is a serious career. It's incredible. <laughs> I also enjoyed the fact that Budgie was an innovator. He was one of the first footballers to warm up on the pitch pre-game, once in particularly entertaining fashion. Honestly, guys, you've got to check out the video of his warm-up before a Crystal Palace game. It includes cartwheels, backflips, and the worm <laughs> as well. <laughs> because of his love of football, when he could no longer play, I think he hit a bit of a downward spiral that culminated with his wife, Janet, and Kevin Keegan, his former manager, deciding it would be best to have him sectioned. But fortunately, he got the help he needed, and he's now gone on to have an interesting post-football career. He's worked as a goalkeeping coach. Ben, you'll absolutely love this as well. He mm. discovered... Oman international Ali Al Habsi at the age of 16. Did he really? Oh wow. Because yeah. <laughs> he's he's had a lot of coaching throughout his career looking at it now, Arthur. I mean, he's currently the consultant for the Kerala Blasters. I've noticed out nice. in the Indian Super League. He's had an interesting career post-football. I'm pleased for him because as I said, that passion for football when he could no longer play, you know, at least it's now being fulfilled in an off-field job. He, he does seem like a character, Arthur. I'm surprised I haven't heard of him. I, I couldn't help but notice that, just on a quick Google search now, one of the first articles that comes up under John Burridge, um, it's actually an article in The Sun, uh, and the title of it is, Who Done It? 
ex-Hibs keeper John Burridge claims he had poo running down his face after Hearts fan shit in his bike helmet. (laughs) (laughs) So that is grim. So that's good, isn't it? Yeah, I think I think the Hearts Hibs rivalry is pretty pretty fierce. I didn't know it was that fierce, but there we go. Yeah, I mean that's good. And uh, we welcome him into our eleven um, with poo trickling down his face. Let's talk about the left back. Um, we've got a flat back four today, and I've picked out a player who is arguably the best Cameroonian left back of all time which, whilst not a prestigious accolade, I think is something worthy of note. He played 68 times for his country, and actually I feel out of his long and interesting career, perhaps his games for Cameroon were the the standouts. And that is Pierre Wome. Okay, very good. I was thinking when you said the best Cameroonian left-back, my mind sprung to Asu Okoto. Yeah, that's an interesting shout. Um, But yeah, Pierre Wome. He, he played for Fulham, which is why um, a number of people might remember the name. He was a versatile, skillful and athletic defender. Um, he was five foot 11 as well, so tall enough to be physical. And he was a key member of the Cameroon squad that won consecutive African Cup of Nations titles in 2000 and 2002. Uh, and they also won an Olympic gold medal, somewhat surprisingly, in, in 2000. All three tournaments were won on penalty shootouts uh, and Wome put himself forward to take one in all three of the victories. Um, in the Olympic gold medal match, he was the hero. He scored the fifth and decisive penalty to win the title for his country. But he was also a journeyman, which is why he makes our 11 today. Uh, he played for 14 clubs across six different countries, starting out in Italy with short spells at Vicenza, Lucchese, Roma and Bologna, where he actually played 47 times for Bologna. And that was his longest spell um, of games at any club. Perhaps most worthy of note for this podcast, he played 14 times for Fulham. This was around 2003. uh, And he scored an incredible free kick against West Brom, which endeared him to the fans. Absolutely leathered it in. Um, So it's well worth checking that one out on YouTube. He actually went to Inter Milan during his career, which was perhaps a bit of a surprise move, given how good a number of the other clubs he played for were. Uh, He played 15 times in that season for Inter, which is no mean feat. They won the league under Roberto Mancini, playing alongside the likes of Figo, Veron and Zanetti. So there was a, a brief spell where he was at the very top of football, generally worldwide. But again, his career started to move towards some of the minnows in the top leagues. He played for Werder Bremen, um, but then he played for some little-known clubs in Cameroon, France and even Gabon. I think perhaps what's quite sad about his career is that he always felt it was tainted by some of the abuse he got. I talked about his penalty-taking exploits Unfortunately, on on the 8th of October 2005, Wome missed a 95th minute penalty during Cameroon's final World Cup qualifier against Egypt, um, which actually sent them out and meant they didn't qualify. His shot cannoned off the outside of the post. um, Ivory Coast qualified instead. um, And during a press conference several days afterwards, he said about the penalty, no one wanted to take it. No one, neither Samueletto nor our captain, Rigobert Song, because they knew what would happen if they missed. I had the courage and I went to the spot. 
But unfortunately, afterwards, he received death threats and abuse um, and was subjected to a pretty awful time, really, by the Cameroonian press. So I think Wome looks back on parts of his career with, with some degree of resentment. But certainly he was a journeyman who touched the hearts of some West London football fans for a brief spell back in the early noughties. Absolutely. I think the penalty instance, as you say, I think it's, it's always bold to take a penalty. We've seen the fallout of this summer. You know, it's a, it's a tough gig. Mm. And I think the upside isn't huge, really. If you score the winning penalty, fine. But if you're one of the ones who takes a successful penalty, you're often not remembered. Yeah. Uh, so it's a difficult thing. One of the things that interests, interests me about Wome's career is that he's, as you say, one of Cameroon's best defenders ever. And he's got many caps for them. But in his career, just the fact that he had so few appearances, clubs like Inter and Werder Bremen on his CV, yet when he then leaves Werder Bremen and goes to FC Köln, he can only get 30 appearances there as well. It's like, I, 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 I just don't understand why he didn't have more gay time in his career, you know? It is really strange. And he was such a regular at international level, like we said. Um, you'd think that someone would take a punt and give him a good run in the side. I think the other thing I find strange, I don't know much about the cultural aspects of this, but he, he finished his career back in Africa. Um, and that was one of the spells where he seemed to move around an awful lot, playing very few games for each club. And that interested me because I, I, th- I would imagine that's a much lower level. And having a player like Wome on your books must be something extremely valuable. Right. At centre-back, I would like to introduce another African to this eleven. Uh, mm. I've gone for Taribo West. Oh, I'm so glad he's made one of our 11s. Welcome, mm. Taribo. I'm glad too. He's a man with absolutely excellent hair, ribbons, colourful beads, hair dye. He's got kind of pigtails of sorts at, at various times in his career as well. He spent the first four years of his career in Nigeria before he got his first big move to Europe with Ozaire in 1993. After a frustrating first year, he finally broke into their first team in the 1994-95 season. He won the French domestic double in 1996 and they reached the quarterfinals of the Champions League in 97. And he was very much the mainstay of a backline that included Laurent Blanc and the iconic Alan Goma. (laughs) (laughs) It was then that his journeymanism really began. Over the next 10 years, he found homes at Inter, AC Milan, Derby County, Kaiserslautern, Partizan Belgrade, Al Arabi in Saudi Arabia, Plymouth Argyle, randomly, and then Paikan, which was in Iran. There was even a funny instance where he announced he was signing for Spanish second division side Jerez, saying he was hoping for a new lease of life before the club's press chief poured cold water on the news saying, I haven't heard anything about him signing, so I don't have any news to tell you. But it does seem a strange story. I doubt he's been signed for next season either. He just wanted to add another country to his CV. I think fair play. Did you just, sorry, I was actually reading an article rudely on Taribo West. I just think it's bizarre that Taribo West played for Plymouth. I actually had no idea about this because I had a Corinthian character of him back in his sort of Inter Milan days. And I always thought of him as playing at the very highest level. And I'm I'm shocked to read about his career and learn he was playing for Plymouth. There is actually a, I think it's a fake Twitter account here, which is claiming to be Taribo West saying the only reason he left is that apparently for his birthday, 
Plymouth Argyle got him a £15 Woolworths voucher and he didn't feel like <laughs> that was enough. I think that might be a fake account. So Is that I like Yaya Torre all over again? Yeah, it seems a little bit like that, to be fair. But yeah, amazing that he was playing for Plymouth Argyle. It sort of smacks of Edgar Davids at Barnet, doesn't it? Plymouth obviously have some form uh, for this. They obviously had Emil and Penza back in the day as well. He was yeah, a great Yeah, they did. You're <laughs> absolutely right. What a club. In his career, he showed glimpses of that form that he had at Auxerre. I think the impact he had on loan at Derby County was pretty huge. Their defence improved noticeably after his loan signing in November. And the manager, Jim Smith, really desperately wanted to keep him. But sadly, in a similar way to Pierre Wome, he was very, very well capped by his country and his international commitments saw him miss too many games. And so the wages he was on at Derby meant it was kind of prohibitive because they needed him to be playing every game to make it worth it. Internationally, as I say, he was a mainstay for Nigeria. Uh, he appeared at the 1998 and 2002 World Cups. And he also, we have another gold medal winner. Really? <laughs> he won the 1996 Olympics, uh, playing every single minute. Really good. And, and we've added Asia to our list of journeyman continents, which is, is really nice. West and Wome on the left side of defence feels pretty solid to me. Uh, I've got another name, which for me brought back all kinds of nostalgia. Pretty obscure. Um, we'll see if you remember him, Arthur. Paolo da Silva. No, I mean, it's, uh, it sounds like just a randomly generated, exotic-sounding yeah. footballer. <laughs> when you look up a picture of Paolo da Silva, you will remember who he is. Sunderland, that's who he played for uh, in the noughties. Uh, he played 150 games for Paraguay. He was their most capped player of all time, still is, which is extraordinary, really. Um, so like Wome, his real success was on the international level. He was a robust and savvy centre-back, read the game well, um, which made up for his lack of pace. Uh, and across his career, he really was a journeyman. He played for 16 clubs across Italy, England, Spain, Argentina, Mexico and Paraguay. Uh, he actually played, and this is perhaps the most unusual part of this story, he, he played 234, sorry, 235 games, let's not forget that last one, for Toluca in Mexico. Um, so it's rare to have such a long spell at one club, yet still manage to rack up 16 across your entire career. But of course, he's probably best known for this short spell I referred to at Sunderland. Uh, it was in 2009. Uh, and he made 24 appearances, so by no means was he a, a complete bench player. He signed in July uh, on a three-year deal, uh, and manager Steve Bruce said, I'm delighted to have signed a player of Paolo's experience. He is captain of his country and has played at the highest level in South America, so he'll bring leadership qualities to our side. But unfortunately, his arrival at the Stadium of Light was followed by this very confusing period of time around his visa application he was granted a work permit immediately um, but had to wait over a month to get his visa before it was uh, eventually granted after the season had even started uh, he made his debut against Norwich in the league cup and in September he made his first premier league appearance and he was rotated throughout the season but was one of those stand-in centre-backs really that you could always rely on to put in a fairly gutsy and committed performance as and when required so he was he was okay to be fair as a, as a centre-back Paolo de Silva but 
he never really settled. There were reports that he was homesick. He didn't really like English food. He didn't really like English weather. And as a result, he, he never really felt like part of the furniture at Sunderland and, and needed to move on um, in his second season when he was getting far less game time. I think that's fair enough. After finding a home for 235 games, your next move is quite a formative move. I think it's a, it's a difficult move to make that clearly. Moving to a new country, moving to English football from Mexican. Talking about Mexican football, one of my favourite players currently playing in the Mexican league is Gignac. Have you seen his career? Oh yeah, Andre Pierre Gignac. Yeah. I, I was always disappointed he never played in the Premier League, actually. It was a bit was bizarre because he, he was amazing for, was it Toulouse? I think he played for Toulouse and was really successful. I think before that, in he Marseille? might have been at Marseille, yeah. And then he's gone from Ligue 1, mm. banging them in, playing for France, to suddenly Mexico, completely out of the blue. And he, yeah. I think he scored like 100 goals in 110 games. So he's absolutely Incredible. ripping it up over there. But Mexican League is very, very different. That amount of appearances for your national side suggests that you are an incredibly commanding, confident, strong defender. And I, I don't think we saw nearly enough of De Silva, and perhaps that's why he doesn't really ring many bells for me. No, that's true. By no means a bad player, De Silva. Uh, and when he eventually did go back to South America, he settled once more. He actually still plays. He's 41 years old, uh, and he plays for a team who are called 12th of October. <laughs> that's the name of the football club I, I guess Sheffield Wednesday is bizarre to people outside of the UK but 12th of October feels very strange and he's also played for another team with a weird name called Presidente Hayes which is named after the 19th president of America so it's a little bit like calling your side Boris Johnson or something <laughs> fairly peculiar and on the right side of defence, I've added one of the first names that springs to mind when I think of journeymen in football. It's Greg Halford. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I, I actually completely agree with you. If I'd have had the right back spot, he'd be into. Also, it's just the name Greg Halford is just dripping with, with journeymen. I just it really feel is. like... <laughs> it really um, is. He was an immensely impressive young player at Colchester. He propelled them through the leagues from the English fourth tier to the championship, uh, and he was capped by England under-20s. He was named a League One team of the season in their 2006 promotion campaign and was known for his versatility. He played right back, right midfield, centre midfield, and even centre forward. And we certainly love versatility on this podcast. So oh, we do. Great to have you on board, Greg. But now it was time for his big move. And as you know, Ben, that was to Premier League side Reading. Oh, uh, he signed for £2.25 million. Why didn't it work out? Do you know what, Arthur? That, that Greg Halford move is still one of the most disappointing signings of all time for Reading. I think that summer we signed Immersify, who basically threw his toys out of the pram and hated the manager and wouldn't play. And then Greg Halford. And, and honestly... I was so excited about the signing. You know, this young player coming up through the leagues. He was tall. He was strong. He was quick. He had everything. And at the time, Graham Murty was our first choice right back, who was very composed, but he was getting on. And it was seen that Halford was going to eventually take over from Murty and be the long-term replacement. But he just seemed completely void of confidence. Quite early on in his spell at Reading, I remember Halford giving away a penalty handball against Tottenham and um, from there on in he just seemed to lack 
any real confidence in his ability, any ideas. And unfortunately, it, it never worked out for him. It, it became quite clear he wasn't enjoying his time at Reading. He'd expected to play every week and that wasn't happening. And he was sold pretty soon after, I think, when we went back down into the championship. He was indeed. And actually, to your credit, he played just three games for Reading, but you managed to turn a profit on him. <laughs> I, yeah, that was the really bizarre thing at the time. When I remember when we sold him, everyone was like, well, that's a great deal. It was to Sunderland, who are known for known for signing duds yeah. themselves. So he signed for £3 million. Pounds. Mm. Fair play, Reading, in the end. These two stints at Premier League level with Sunderland and Reading were both a bit of a failure, but they were joined as well by one further stint at Premier League level with Wolves. It wasn't successful. <laughs> uh, so, <laughs> so he went on to, to become your archetypal championship journeyman, in my mind. He went to Portsmouth, Nottingham Forest, Brighton, Rotherham, Birmingham and Cardiff. I think that's quite a good CV of clubs in the championship there. Really is. And, and Cardiff City were his 12th different team in 15 years. Really, he just jumped around. After that first big, big move, he perhaps thought, this is my chance. I'm capped at youth level. To me, he gave off quite Nicky Shorey vibes, i.e. potential England cap, you know, like exciting English player. On paper, but, yeah, but he, not on grass. I can no, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> he, he was very much a championship defender. And I think that Prem step was just too high for him. But actually his spell at Reading wasn't, in his eyes, his worst experience in football. That was actually at Wolves, where he bizarrely fell out with the fans, tweeting, once he left, to all the Wolves' bellends. <laughs> <laughs> Portsmouth will always be a bigger club, along with Sheffield United, Sheffield Wednesday and Charlton. Clearly they didn't rate him, and I think they probably told him that on Twitter. And, yeah. you know, he, he still hasn't deleted that tweet. It's very readily available for all your, all your consumption on Twitter yeah. if you'd like to go and check that out and respond to him. In July this year, he actually signed for Waterford in Ireland at the age of 36. He's still playing. And actually mm. on his debut, he scored a 91st minute equaliser. So not all bad for him. Wow. Um, yeah, I, I think you've made a great pick there. Um, because he's a very particular type of journeyman. I think Greg Halford's the sort of player that managers across the country will look at, particularly in the Football League, and say, he'll do a job. He's got a big build, he's physical, he's got a long throw. He is kind of what you look for in a battling right-back or centre-back. But, but yeah, unfortunately, the... it never really... And no club did he show enough to warrant a new contract which is what's yeah. sad about it. I think that rounds our defence off very nicely. Slippery customer, good ball in, half a goal! He might not be a striker, but he stepped up just when Nottingham Forest needed him. OK, so let's take a quick break from the eleven before we get onto the midfield. I've just become fascinated, really, in, in the research about the various journeys that players go on, both culturally and in terms of quality of club throughout their career. And it, I think it says a lot about the character of the individual. Um, so for a bit of fun, I've prefer, uh, prepared rather a quiz of the journeys of footballers. So, Ooh. Arthur, you're going to be the main man answering the questions. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah, it's tough. This is really is gonna, tough, actually. Is this going to expose my lack of knowledge when it comes yeah. to 
I, hey, there's nothing wrong with getting zero here because this is tough. They've each played in the Premier League. They're all now no longer playing in the Premier League. And I'm going to see if you can identify who they are. So, number one, he started his career in 1985 with Toulon. Note the country, Arthur. 82 appearances, four goals. Then he went to RC Paris, Brest, and then Paris Saint-Germain in 1992, where he played 115 times and scored 33 goals. Now moving into English football, he signed in 1995 for Newcastle, 58 appearances, six goals. Then for Tottenham in 1997, 100 appearances, 13 goals. Villa, and then a very brief spell at Everton in 2002. Any ideas? So my initial reaction until he said Newcastle was JJ Kotcha because okay. I thought Paris and then coming to England. I was prepared. Yeah, sensible. But it's not old. It's not Kotcha. I'll give you one clue. I mean, where you need to be focusing your attention is Newcastle and then Tottenham. Has um, he got wonderful hair? He has wonderful hair. Annoyingly, I cannot remember his bloody name. <laughs> this is this is actually going to be far more embarrassing for you than you realise then if you can't get this one. Wait um, one sec. Um, oh, what is his name? He's probably the most famous French midfielder. Oh, ben, actually, no, that's really not true. That's not true, but he's very good. I've just completely forgotten his name, but I remember he has lovely hair. Okay, his name is David Ginola. Obviously. <laughs> so well done if you got that at home. Arthur is an expert in obscure and nostalgic footballers. Uh, and he didn't ones. manage to get a mainstream one. So there we go. I would like to say that I gave the key clue in the hair, I feel. You did, you did, yes. And and also guessed JJ Kotcher. So unfortunately, that's zero out of one for you, Arthur. The second one, okay, uh, 1993, signed for PSV, 112 appearances, 32 goals. That's a bit of a clue. So good, in fact, he went to Barcelona in 1998, 64 appearances, two goals. He then moved to the UK in 2001, where he played for Chelsea, 43 appearances, four goals. For Middlesbrough, he had two spells for them, 67 appearances, nine goals. And then Liverpool, before finishing at Marseille, and then Sunderland, where he retired in 2011. Is it Bolo Zenden? Yes, Arthur. Yes. Well done. Boudouin Zenden. Well the the done. comeback. Yeah, that was that was very impressive. Well done. One out of two. John, oh, well, I've just told you half of his name. <laughs> his his first name is John, this third one. Okay, so John, which John? Uh, he started his career in 92 with Luton, 54 appearances, 11 goals. Then he went to Arsenal, 54 appearances, 14 goals. Then West Ham United, he then played for Wimbledon, Coventry City, before a pretty fruitful spell at Celtic, 146 appearances, 88 goals. That was in 2001 to 2006, before playing briefly for West Bromwich Albion and Norwich. Is it John Hartson? Yes, Arthur, well done. Do you, Two out do you three. Know what? Do you know what's bizarre about John Hartson? I, yeah. I remember him most for his spell at Coventry City, which was like That's a really, really brief weird. spell. Yeah. I don't, don't know why. He only played 12 times for them. I think it was because 
I first saw him play in a Coventry City shirt and that made me feel like yeah. he must be a Coventry City player. At oh, heart, you know? for yeah. me, it's very much the, the training ground bust up with Ile Berkovic that <laughs> I think of when I think of John Hartson. You're doing quite well here. Let's see if you can get number four, which is much more tricky. So he started as a youth player at Arsenal. This is in 2001. He then went to Queen's Park Rangers on loan a couple of times in 2002 before joining Charlton Athletic, where he had his most fruitful spell. That was 103 games and seven goals. He then joined Portsmouth before West Brom in 2009, where he played 99 times and scored 11 goals. So a decent haul for the Baggies. He moved to Leeds on loan. Uh, he played for Crystal Palace, Rotherham, and then finished at Port Vale. Yeah, I mean, I'm completely out of ideas for this. I guess okay. I guess when you get given the clues, you're starting to think, so he was born in 2001, did you say? Uh, he wasn't no. born, no, but he was playing for Arsenal in 2001. Played for Arsenal. Sorry, I was thinking, sorry, is he like... Really no, good? no. How has he is, had that career? He, he, was, he didn't get born and then immediately appear in the <laughs> Arsenal starting lineup. That That wasn't significant. I think I'll give you a clue. He's a winger and he his, probably his two notorious spells were playing for Charlton, supplying the likes of Darren Bent. And then for West Bromwich Albion, where he played a lot of championship football as quite a mercurial winger. I'm a bit out of ideas here. David Bentley or someone? No, I'm afraid it's Jerome Thomas. Oh, yes, of course. Well done if you got that one. That was a tricky one. And then the final option, or the final round, rather, of this slightly protracted quiz. This one played for Southampton, Arthur. So you've got half a chance. His career started in 1990. That was his career. He wasn't born then. Um, playing for Viking FK, where he played 128 times and scored 54 goals. He moved to Southampton in 96, um, where he played 96 times and scored 29 goals. Then to Blackburn Rovers. Uh, he had a brief loan at Man City. Uh, he then played for Rangers 11 times before returning to Viking and retiring in 2005. Yeah, I have a hunch this could be Egil Ostenstad. Yes, you've yeah. done really well. Three out of five. I froze on the first one. I think you got cold feet, didn't you? Yeah. <laughs> that um, was a very good quiz. Thank you for that. Oh, well, you're welcome. <laughs> I hope you enjoyed it as much as Arthur did at home. Let us know how many you scored. You've got three to beat. So any scores of four or five. And um, you might even be presenting the podcast next time. Who knows? Look at this run by Ginola. Oh, that's a fantastic goal! Another outstanding strike by Ginola. Okay, the centre of midfield, Ben. Who are mm. we? Who are we playing there? I think we need someone of the calibre of Rowan Ricketts. <laughs> what yeah. a player! What a player! That's brought a lot of memories back, and actually a particular favourite of mine because I think he once replied to me on Twitter. Really? Like that. so, oh, that's yeah. that's quite impressive. That's quite big time. Yeah, we love Rowan, and Rowan deserves his place in this 11. I definitely uh, thought it was Rohan as well. It might be Rohan. Um, obviously, <laughs> you're the one who knows him. Um, well, I just, I've always thought it was Rohan, and it's just struck me as quite a Lord of the Ringsian name. Yeah, Rohan. <laughs> it is, actually. Uh, I'm going to go with Rowan, but I, I'm very happy to be corrected if it is Rohan. Um, do let us know at 11pod. 
Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> he's played for 18 clubs across his career. Um, so he's certainly a journeyman. Six in England, most notably Tottenham and then Wolves. Uh, he also came through the Arsenal Youth Academy. In 2002, he made the unusual step um, of joining Tottenham from Arsenal's Youth Academy. And he became just the fourth player to make that switch um, and only the 12th to appear for both sides since their formation. He didn't play a single game in his first season uh, at Tottenham, but he was a first team regular in 2003. And his form saw him agree a one-year contract extension with the club uh, in December 2003. Todd Grip was impressed with his ability and there was talk of him being called up to the senior England squad. But following on from Glenn Hoddle's sacking as Tottenham manager, he found his first team opportunities pretty limited, despite being named player of the month in August and September. This is where his career took a bit of a turn, to be honest. Um, he started going out on loan and seeking short-term transfers. Uh, he went to Coventry, he went to Wolves, he went to QPR and he went to Barnsley. Um, with none of those fans seeing him for long enough to really form an opinion on Rowan. Before a trip to the MLS to play for Toronto, where he did OK, uh, but had to be released a year later to free up cap space um, as it works over in, in America. He was unfortunately a victim of that. He then played for six clubs from six different countries between 2010 and 2012, which is insane, really, when you think of it. So that's that's that means that every four months he's going to a different country to play football, never mind a different club. It's insane. Uh, they included Dioschiori of Hungary, Dacia Chisinau of Moldova, Wilhelmshaven of Germany, Shamrock Rovers of Ireland, Exeter City in England, uh, and also Dempo, who are aside in India. Um, and even even despite playing for those six clubs in that two year period, he also had time for two trials at Southend and Stevenage. So uh, just an incredible journey that he's been on. He certainly has a story to tell. That wouldn't be it. He'd go on to play in Ecuador, Thailand, Hong Kong and Bangladesh. So I would question whether anyone in this 11 will be better travelled than Rowan Ricketts during his career. I think that's a really good shout to include him. I'm very pleased that he's made the cut. Actually, you talk about all those experiences. I found a rather lovely quote, I think, from him that sums up his career quite well. Mm. So he said, I would be lying if I said I didn't want the career that I was originally going for. But saying that, I've embraced how my career has gone and seen the value in the journey. I speak fluent Spanish. I have two children who were born to women who are not from England. I have friends all over the world from Hong Kong, Thailand, Bangladesh and Ecuador. I've been to places in India. I've seen where most of the world's tea comes from. And I've seen wildlife at close quarters. I've had a really interesting career. So I think he's genuinely got some serious experiences. I guess he really became a journeyman in a bid to try and find another home, right? Yeah, and, and to some extent, you want your football career to continue as long as possible and you follow where the money is. And if someone's offering you a deal, he, he's always been the sort of person to say yes. And I've got some respect for that. I enjoyed this quote as well. He was talking about his time in, in India. He said, it was fascinating to live in such a different culture. I was late for training on a couple of occasions due to cows in the road, which was certainly something I had not experienced before. 
So um, it certainly was a different cultural experience for him. I think if we needed any proof of Rowan's ability as a footballer as well, you need to look no further than LinkedIn. Uh, he has his own account. He's He's been endorsed by Chris Powell, part of the England management set up for sports, <laughs> which is always a sure sign that someone is very capable as a footballer, isn't it? That's so good. I think also he possesses one of the very best profile pictures on Wikipedia. There's this just brilliant photo of him sort of leaning up against, I can't see whether it's a wall or a tree, but he's wearing a very stylish coat. He's got his arms crossed. He looks like he means business. And that was in 2012 when he played for Exeter City. I think that's a great career, very good pick. And I'm excited that he's joined the team. Nice. Who's going to play alongside him? We've got three centimetres in this 4-3-3, haven't we? We have indeed, and I'm offering up Luke Chadwick. Another ex-Reading player. Another ex-Reading player for your delectation. It's, I think, a staple feature of a journeyman to have had a youth career at a top club, and then it kind of all slightly fall apart. And in, yeah. in Chadwick's case, that was Manchester United. I think it's because having a club like that on your CV is a pretty rock solid foundation for securing a new club for years to come. You know, clubs lower down the footballing pyramid attempted to sort of give him a chance as they might still be able to coax that talent out of him that he so clearly has. But in my mind, Luke Chadwick's career was almost an inverted version of someone like Grant Holt or Ricky Lambert or Jamie mm. Vardy, you know, the rising from the lower tears of English football to the very pinnacle and Luke at a young age had it all he was threatening to fulfill his enormous promise he actually played 16 times in the 2000-2001 season amongst United's golden generation as they won their third title in a row 16 games that season mm. not even a bit part player 13 England under 21 caps whilst at Manchester United he was a great player but then game time petered out at Man U and his slide down the leagues began. He went on a series of loans, first to Royal Antwerp, who's one of Man U's partner clubs, uh, and then Reading and Burnley. Any memories of his time at Reading? A bit more yeah. positive than Greg Halford? <laughs> Do you know what, Arthur? I think Luke Chadwick was probably the best loan signing Reading have ever made. He, really? He was so good. I mean, at that time, Reading were a, a sort of up-and-coming championship side we were nothing special we'd never been in the Premier League so getting a player in on loan from United was exciting in and of itself at that point in his career he was more of a winger than a centre mid and he was magic honestly he was brilliant and I'm as shocked as anyone that his career did go on a downward trajectory because um, he had so much talent uh, I, I feel for Chadwick in many ways he got an unfair rap because he didn't necessarily have the appearance of a top quality winger. But he, he was a great guy and had so much raw talent. I just wish Reading could have signed him permanently during mm. after that loan spell, because he would have been a success without a doubt. Yeah, I think there's a recurring trend in Chadwick's career. You know the phenomenon of a player coming on loan at a club, playing well, then getting signed and then he turns off the talent button mm, mm. <laughs> that was a recurring theme in Chadwick's career kind of like a try before you buy it went as follows 
Loan to Stoke, bought by Stoke. Loan to Norwich, bought by Norwich. Loan to MK Dons, bought by MK Dons. Loan to Cambridge, bought by Cambridge. <laughs> Literally the most bizarre thing. And then obviously each of those clubs, once they signed him permanently, I mean, he made he made 20 or so appearances and then moved on. Only at Milton Keynes did he really find a home later in his career. You said it's unusual seeing a player play so many games when they are a journeyman for one club. He actually played 246 times across six seasons with MK Dons. He scored 24 times. I think the fact that that was his best period really does emphasise his slide down the leagues. Mm. Um, he actually finished his career with um, with Isthmian League Division One North side Soham Town Rangers. Really, um, he was a journeyman, no doubt about it. And I think I think he deserves his place in this side. I think it's it's lining up quite nicely, actually. To cap off the midfield, a name you will be familiar with, Arthur, Johnny Viafara. Oh yes, what a legend! Yes, a six foot two combative midfielder. Uh, he played 76 times for Southampton between 2006 and 2008. How was he, Arthur? What were your reflections on him? John Viafara was a very good player, actually. He came to us from Portsmouth. And so there was mm. some initial umming and ahhing about why we were signing him a player from our fiercest rivals. But he very much impressed on the ball in the championship. He was signed by Portsmouth, I think, in the Premier League. And that was a bit of a level too high for him. He famously scored two goals in the playoff semi-final against Derby. Yes, correct. And revealed a brilliant shirt underneath his match kit saying, I'm sorry I ruined the party. Yes. That's quite funny. Sadly, he didn't ruin the party and we lost on penalties. (laughs) (laughs) I think that is one of the sort of residing memories really for Saints fans was that playoff semi-final. Um, His energy, his ability to play box to box, and obviously the fact that he kind of turned his back on Portsmouth to play for Saints was was probably something you guys were pretty chuffed about. Um, but he did go on to be a bit of a journeyman. He, he had 15 transfers throughout his career, uh, spanning Europe and also South America, where he obviously hailed from. He was a, a Colombian and he had an incredibly good record in Colombian football. It's not perhaps the best league in the world, but I was impressed to note that nearly every side he played for seemed to improve. He was born in the Colombian town of Robles um, and he came to international attention whilst playing for Once Caldas, whom he was instrumental during his club's success in the 2004 Copa Libertadores, scoring with a long-range strike in the final against Boca Juniors. So that's a pretty prestigious title that John Viafara was um, a key part of. He returned to Once Caldas later in his career. And again, the team's fortunes improved. They won their third Colombian League Championship. In 2010, he joined La Equidad uh, and he helped them to reach the final of the Apertura 2010 tournament, uh, as well as the playoff stages of the Clausura. Uh, And in 2011, he was signed by Junior, again in Colombia, got off to an excellent start, scoring vital goals in both of his side's first two games in the Copa Libertadores group stage. So he was actually a pretty successful footballer out in Colombia, even though he perhaps never got to prove it at the highest level in the UK. Absolutely. I think the reason he actually left Southampton was homesickness. I think he wanted to return home. And I'm pleased to, to see that his return was so successful. I think... Off the field, he was maybe less successful. I think yeah. he might currently be in prison. Is that right? 
Yeah, I think that's safe to say, isn't it, really, Arthur? <laughs> Unfortunately, off-the-field antics mean that John Biafara will not be available to comment for this podcast. On March the 19th, 2019, he was arrested in Cali, in Colombia, for drug trafficking and cocaine exportation to the United States. Um, he was extradited. He denies the allegations, but he was sentenced to 11 years in prison by a Texas court this earlier this year. So, oh. yeah, I, it's gone quite sour for John Biafara. Yeah. Obviously, there are problems across the world with, with cocaine and exploitation stuff, and John's ended up caught up in it. But, hey, John Biafara, that doesn't exclude him from being in our journeyman 11, even though he won't be journeying anytime soon. Three up front, an attacking lineup for the journeyman 11. You can kick us off. Thank you very much. I've decided to go for Mohamed Callon. Yes. Does that ring another, well, another football manager name for some reason. I, I seem to remember signing him for someone. I just feel he was always available for free. Uh, <laughs> yeah. With that pretty good career behind him, I think people wanted to give him a chance. At the age of 15, he made his debut for St. Edwardians, which was his old boys team at okay. the school that he went to. In the Sierra Leone National Premier League, they play. Right. Uh, and he scored 12 goals in his first season. At the same age, he made his international debut, scoring the winner on debut. So essentially, this was an absolutely unprecedented talent for Sierra Leone. When looking at the Sierra Leone National Premier League, some of the names in that league are just <laughs> brilliantly named. There was the Anti-Drug Strikers. <laughs> right? Okay. Uh, there's also the Mighty Blackpool. Oh, the Mighty Blackpool. The Mighty yeah. Blackpool used to be called Socro United, but they changed their name in 1954 to show their appreciation for Sir Stanley Matthews. Wow. Well, just wait till the Oysters get in charge of them and they'll be going downhill. When he left Sierra Leone, his next stop was Lebanon, uh, where he scored 15 goals before he joined a Swedish club called Spanger, uh, for whom he made no appearances, but he went on a few, a few loans, uh, firstly to Lugano in Switzerland and then to three Italian clubs in Genoa, Bologna and Cagliari. His big move was in 2001, uh, the, the move he's famous for, really, when he signed for Inter Milan. He was originally way, way down the pecking order. He was behind Vieri, Recoba, Ronaldo, Adriano, Suka. What a strike force that was. Um, mm. Bizarrely, they didn't even win the league with that strike force. However, injuries to Ronaldo and Recoba that season did mean that he scored nine goals and played 29 times, which is a pretty decent haul for his first at Inter Milan, um, really the good. second top scorer behind Vieri. But his Inter career was blighted first by injury and then a fateful eight-month ban for the use of banned substance Nandrolone. Eight months out of the team gave new players the chance to make their careers at Inter Milan. Obafemi Martins was the new kid on the block when he came back. Uh, Adriano was back and resurgent after a brilliant loan spell at Parma. And so he left for Monaco. There was no space for him really at Inter Milan anymore. After an encouraging start at Monaco, he fell out with their manager, Didier Deschamps. We very nearly got to see him actually in the Premier League. He had Birmingham and Derby both interested. Unfortunately, though, a work permit wasn't granted. 
because Sierra Leone's world ranking was too low. And then Spells followed in a similar vein to Rohan Ricketts. He's experienced some different places. He went to Athens, Saudi Arabia, uh, and even his own club back in Sierra Leone. He signed for Calon FC, which I thought is quite, quite interesting. The idea of you know, not being able to get a club, so why not just sign for your own one? And to be fair, he was the best player potentially in Sierra Leonean history. I'd say probably his successor is Kai Kamara. Yes, he's currently yeah. the country's best player. Played for Norwich, didn't he? He Kai did. Kamara. And actually, Kai is an alumnus of Calon FC as well. So it's clearly where all good careers are forged in Sierra Leone now. But I also think there's one classic journeyman move. Often it's America, but this was the Chinese Super League. I just think that's a, a very journeyman thing. Towards yes. the end of their career, putting themselves out for a well-paid pasture in either America, China, potentially we're seeing India even these days. I mean, it's just an interesting move to cap off an interesting career. It really is. And it's, it's a lot of journeymen end up in Asia. Um, hopping around the Asian continent later in their career. I just wanted to pick up on something you said earlier. Um, FC Calon is now the only club in Sierra Leone with a functioning website. And according <laughs> to Wikipedia, it's interactive and informative. I don't know whether they're saying it's the only club with an actual website or it's the only club whose website is actually informative. So, <laughs> the other websites are dross. Or, yeah, they're just <laughs> awful. I feel um, like we should go on Canon FC's website now. I mean, definitely going to be scanning that now. after this. I actually think, yeah, I, I don't know who's built this. Um, it could be a Wix site. It could be GoDaddy. <laughs> I don't know, but it's pretty good. But they seem to have played the mighty Blackpool recently. So I'll be looking up the match report and seeing what's happened there. Who's alongside him up front then, Ben? I'm going for, uh, a, that's probably a slightly better known name, actually. Almost too good to make it into one of our 11s, but he has an interesting story behind him. Nicholas Anelka. Oh, very good choice. Yes. So Nicholas is known for his ability to both score and assist goals. Um, he's been described as classy, quick, good aerial ability, great technique good movement, and he could play as a main striker and a second striker. But part of the reason I wanted to pick him for the 11 was just how incredible his journeyman career has been. He's played for 12 teams, so a fair old haul, uh, but they include Arsenal, PSG, Man City, Liverpool, Chelsea, Real Madrid and Juventus. Which wow. is incredible, really. I mean, a unique type of journeyman, not hopping round from one ailing club to another. This is someone who's been poached by the very top teams time and time again. I'm enjoying the fact that we've got lots of different types of journeymen in this team. We've yeah. got championship journeymen, Premier League journeymen, journeymen who just travel all around the world. And I think this is a very, very good addition, but a bit of a divisive character potentially at times. Definitely a divisive character. Um, his transfers totaled over 100 million throughout his career. Uh, and I actually think he was one of the most underrated Premier League strikers of all time as well. If you look at some of his stats, because he hopped around from different clubs, he never became a club legend at, at any given side. But his stats were incredible. He had his most prolific season at Chelsea in 2008-2009. But I actually think I liked Anelka best during the early part of his career when he was at Arsenal. 
Uh, he looked an incredible prospect. He was their top scorer in the 98-99 season with 17 goals. Uh, that saw him voted as the PFA Young Player of the Year. But unfortunately, fans turned on him amid speculation and a perceived lack of enthusiasm, which gave him the nickname Le Sulk during his time at Arsenal. I don't know whether you remember that. I do, actually, yes. What a, what a nickname. His failure to settle at club level limited his international appearances, to be honest. But he did return to the national team in, in Euro 2008, Uh, In 2010, though, he was excluded by the French Football Federation for making comments directed towards the national coach, Raymond Domenech. Two months later, having failed to turn up to his disciplinary hearing, he was banned for France's next 18 matches. And he later claimed to be dying with laughter at the 18-match ban, as he'd already decided to retire from international play altogether. Uh, So really quite the character. Oscar Johnson's article on Pundit Feed I quite enjoyed in my research. He said, primarily a term given to out-of-form strikers, a top-heavy ratio of clubs played for to career goals scored seems to be the hallmark of the journeyman. However, Nicholas Anelka was different, an enigma. Whilst he bared the prime trait of the journeyman, having played for 12 clubs in total, Anelka's goal-scoring record sets him aside from the rest. And that's essentially what I meant, really, in terms of him being a journeyman who actually can look back on his career and feel like he performed at every level. I particularly remember his stint at Bolton Wanderers just yes. being, I mean, being a bit of a cut above. He scored double figures in two seasons in a row, 10 goals and 18 games in 2007-8. That was obviously a well-documented collection of very good players, but mm. I just think apologies to Bolton but like that does seem a bit of an outlier on his career you've got Arsenal Paris Saint-Germain Real Madrid Man City Chelsea Bolton it does seem yeah. a bit bizarre especially as it was the prime of his career this isn't a Yori Djorkaev who, who joins at the end of his career such a character Nicholas was his autobiography release was met with some media praise for some of the controversial things he said Uh, And there's one particular page of his autobiography that leaps out at me. Apologies if you've heard this story, but I am going to read it word for word. Such is Anelka's brilliance. My career at Arsenal was going from strength to strength until the day I crossed Vieira, who was better known in the Arsenal dressing room as Le Long. I was playing against Fulham at Highbury and I remember receiving a ball from Bergkamp then rounding the keeper with ease and with the goal wide open, somehow managing to screw the ball wide at the last minute. It only happened because the sun was in my eyes. It wasn't my fault. Anyway, Vieira gave me a glare and I knew I was in trouble. Afterwards, in the showers, he tore into me and I just snapped. I knew I shouldn't have, but I called him a lanky-limbed boomberclart. At first, he just stared at me with his hollow eyes. Then, wham, just like that, he slapped me across the face with his penis. Just once, but it knocked me back a few steps. It was like being struck by a wet kipper. No one could believe what they saw. Can you imagine how embarrassing it is to be smacked across the face with a 14-inch pork sword in front of your teammates? It was the worst moment of my life. No one said anything for what seemed like an eternity. The silence was broken by Ashley Cole, who asked, 
is it my turn? It was then I knew I had to leave. When Wenger found out what he'd done, he merely high-fived Vieira and shouted, and that's why he's captain. Pow, look at that thing. I mean, that yeah. that cannot be, first of all, 14 inch. <laughs> well, it, it, I think, yeah, a pork sword might be one of my favourite descriptions I've, <sighs> I've ever heard. That's wow. Nicholas and Elk for you. And he's up front in our Journeyman 11. Anelka still looking for his first Bolton goal. Nicolas Anelka, he gets it against his old side. A terrific goal. So the final position, it's up for grabs. The third striker in this team. So we got two nominations today. First up, uh, I'm delighted to introduce my boss, Tim Nagel, who has got in touch with a nomination for the striker. My pick was born in Sweden in 1981, and this striker is still knocking in goals, having plied his trade across seven countries in four different decades, playing over 700 games for club and country. He's played and scored in the major Dutch, Italian, Spanish, French, English and Los Angeles derbies. The player, of course, is Latan Ibrahimovic. Not perhaps the first player you might think of as a journeyman, certainly not a Marcus Bent, a Kevin Kyle or a Frank Worthington, but Zlatan is undoubtedly a player who's travelled continuously in a relentless pursuit of team and individual honours, with over 30 trophies to his name. In terms of his awards, there are simply too many to roll off here, so I've picked the selection of what are simply remarkable stats. He's the only player to score with six teams in the Champions League, He's also the only player to score on his Premier League, Serie A, La Liga, League One and Champions League debuts. And he's won 11 championships across four leagues. It isn't always plain sailing with Zlatan, though. He's had a number of notable run-ins with both teammates and managers, notably Pep Guardiola. And any casual research will show that there's been numerous fights, often involving headbutts with teammates. But quite telling that one of the most divisive and confrontational managers, Jose Mourinho, would have this to say about him. I don't understand when people say he's a difficult guy to work with or a difficult personality. When you have somebody that is a winner and wants to win all the time, I think he is very, very easy. I only coached him for a year, but it was a good year, a good experience, and I rate him as one of the best players I have ever coached. When it comes to the Premier League, can Zlatan cut it in the so-called best league in the world? Well, he scored the 25,000th goal in the Premier League. He's only the third player to score 14 goals in his first 20 Premier League games, alongside Alan Shearer and Sergio Aguero. And he's the oldest player to reach 15 goals in a single season at 35 years old. So definitely the greatest journeyman striker of all time, and perhaps one of the greatest players of all time, who has not finished yet. So it's probably fitting I leave the final quote to the man himself. Ibra once said... I'm not someone who feels settled. And with that, I give you Zlatan Ibrahimovic. I love that shout. That's beautifully put there by Tim. Zlatan, yeah, uh, definitely not a name that sprung to mind for journeyman. But when you think of it, a career that spans so many different clubs, so many different continents, reminds me a bit of an Elka in that he's performed at every single one of them. In fact, I mean, one could say he's essentially taken your pick and just offered up a better alternative in the same vein. That That is a fair point. Um, I mean, he didn't have a story in there about Vieira's 14-inch pork sword, but um, I, I do have to admit, 
that that is a very good nomination. We've got another friend of the show who's got in touch. Thank you so much to Kaustub Pandi. He's a football writer. He's the editor-in-chief at Get Italian Football News. Uh, and he's had articles feature on the BBC and the Times, etc., etc. Thank you, Kaustub. Let's see who he has nominated. The name of Craig Bellamy springs to mind pretty much right away. Growing up, he's someone who would have probably dreamt of playing for the club that his father supported, which was Cardiff City. He would have dreamt of playing for Liverpool, which was the club he supported as a child. He played for both of them, scored important goals for them, helped, almost helped Cardiff um, to the Premier League in his first stint and helped uh, Liverpool score an equaliser against Barcelona in the quarterfinals of the Champions League. He scored great goals for all, pretty much all the clubs uh, that he played for, even at Celtic. He, he scored a hat-trick and then scored a goal against Rangers. If you score against Rangers in a game which Celtic go on to win, you pretty much end up being a cult hero anyway. So I think that is something which cemented his legacy in the Parkhead folklore. And then he went on to score important goals for Liverpool and obviously scored that uh, great goal for Manchester City against United in the uh, derby of 2009. For me, he's probably the best uh, journeyman striker in the Premier League era. Yeah, a very, very good choice there. Again, another particular type of journeyman. He's played for quite a few Premier League clubs, always a very, very dangerous presence, you know, as a wide attacker, really. So I like that pick. Thank you very much for that. Well, Arthur, uh, do you want to throw another into the mix for our vote? Jefferson Lewis. Have you heard of him? Oh, Jefferson Lewis. Yeah, the name rings a bell, but he's a, a lower league journeyman, right? Very much so. He's a 42 year old who okay. has almost as many clubs on his CV as he does years on this earth. Wow. In September 2020, he signed for his 40th club. Man. And that was Beaconsfield Town. His career has taken many interesting turns, seeing him face his boyhood club Arsenal at Highbury in an FA Cup run with Oxford United. He won an international cap for Dominica. And he became an iconic figure in lower league football. He scored over 230 career goals in the process. He was also once subject of a bid from Aston Villa uh, following that cup run. He's actually spent time in prison and teaches children currently who've been excluded from school. So he's a very interesting uh, character. I would say managerial changes and short contracts in lower league football, combined with the generals of flux and uncertainty, of non-league have contributed to his incredible total of clubs but it is clearly something that runs in the family his cousin Richard Paquette yes for 29 different clubs did you know they were cousins Ben I didn't know they were cousins but I've heard of Richard Paquette because didn't he play for like Haven and Waterlooville against Liverpool I think he did yeah very much a similar player a a non-league journeyman and actually I think he played for QPR as well so Football League as well on his CV. Um, They actually played up front together in that one international cap for Dominica, which is quite interesting. Nice. Uh, And I'll just finish with a nice little quote that's drawn from a BBC article that I think pairs quite well with with your pork sword comment. (laughs) It goes as follows. Jefferson Lewis bared more than just his soul when he discovered Oxford would face Arsenal in the FA Cup third round. A lifelong Gunners fan, Lewis scored the winner against Swindon that put Oxford in the hat for the eagerly anticipated draw that was being beamed to millions live on television. 
the BBC had even put a camera in the dressing room at the Kassam Stadium to gauge the players' reaction should they be given a glamour tie. Bingo. Oxford had hit the jackpot and were highbury bound. An ecstatic Lewis jumped up and, forgetting all about the camera, showed his backside to the nation as he leapt from one end of the dressing room to the other with only a towel covering his manhood. Wow. What is it about journeymen and being involved in naked antics? Oh, they just love it, don't they? That just seems to be a bit of a theme unravelling here. I'm going to put forward a Premier League journeyman, another classic name that sprung to mind, and that's Marcus Bent. Oh, very good. Again, actually a name that was dismissed by Tim Nagel. I know, there's a theme growing here, a rivalry almost between (laughs) Tim and I. I felt Marcus deserved a place. Um, He played 573 games and scored 113 goals for 14 different clubs across his career. Numerous transfer fees totalling over £10 million. His clubs, they included Brentford, Crystal Palace, uh, Sheffield United, Port Vale, Blackburn, Ipswich, Leicester, Everton. So he really has been around the houses. Charlton as well. Uh, Wigan, he played for on loan. Sorry, sorry, can I just ask, is it a requirement that every club you list has to be with the intonation? Wigan? Yes. Charlton? It's, it was Blackburn? requested. <laughs> my, my agent has told me to do it. Um, so I'll continue. Birmingham, Middlesbrough, QPR. Wolves, Sheffield United. He even went and played out in Indonesia, Arthur, where he played for Mitra Kukar. Uh, And after five years out of the game, during which time he faced some legal issues, he was actually caught with cocaine at Chessington, bizarrely. Uh, So got in (laughs) trouble with the law there. Um, He had brief spells in non-league football with Wick and Cornard United. One story about Marcus Bent I enjoyed Um, He described moving from Crystal Palace to Port Vale as his dream blowing up in his face. He said he struggled to cope with life outside of London and refers to the culture shock when someone said, all right, duck. He said it put him on his toes. He thought, why are you calling me duck? Which just seems like a gross misunderstanding, really. Uh, This is probably my naivety, but I always thought Marcus and Darren Bent were brothers. They're not related. No, at all. No, they're not. Oh, right. He does have a brother, Marcus Bent. Uh, he's called Elliot Bent, and interestingly, also a journeyman. Uh, during his career, he's played for Dorchester, Wimbledon, Welling, Kingstonian, Burgess Hill, Kettering, and Hampton and Richmond. So uh, the Bent brothers, both uh, Bent. So, sorry. <laughs> 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 Sorry, <laughs> struggling a bit there. Well, you can go uh, on our Twitter account at 11pod. That's the word and not the number. Uh, and you're encouraged to vote for your favourite of those four. It's either Ibrahimovic, Bellamy, Bent or Lewis. Do go and vote for your favourite and they will complete our eleven. A few names who narrowly missed out for me. Steve Claridge, definitely mm. a, a lower league journeyman after his stint at Portsmouth. Marco Borriello, Bruce Grobelar, and Peter Crouch were some of the names that sprung to mind as well. But actually, I'd like to quickly give a nod to someone I would like to appoint with your blessing, Ben, as our manager in this team. Ooh. 
I've gone for Rudy Gutendorf. Wow. Gutendorf has managed 18 national teams, plus Iran and China's Olympic teams, and 15 different club teams between 1955 and 2003. Whoa. How the hell do you keep getting jobs? That's such a unbelievable merry-go-round. Yeah, it's incredible. His work has taken him into countries including Chile, Bolivia, Venezuela, Trinidad and Tobago, Australia, Ghana, Botswana, New Caledonia, Tanzania, Mauritius, Rwanda, Samoa, and many others. (laughs) Oh my goodness. Do you know what is ironic though? He was actually a one-club man as a player. He spent all of his career at (laughs) TUS Neuendorf. What? Bizarre. That's so weird. Oh, you definitely have my blessing to name him as our manager. I'd be honoured. Thank you. Any names on the bench for you, Ben? Well, yeah, a couple to throw in. Record holders that we haven't mentioned so far. Sebastian Abreu. You might recognise his name from World Cup appearances. Uruguayan striker. uh, And he holds the record for the most professional clubs in a career. Over 30 he managed to play for. But the name that I really want to get in there is Lutz Fannenstiel. Now, never heard of him. He's a goalkeeper. He's a German goalkeeper. But he holds the record to be the only player to play professionally in each of the six recognised continental associations. So he's played across six continents during his career, uh, which is amazing. I think it got to the point where he was just desperate to complete that journey, basically. Um, he played for a lot of clubs. I won't list them all. You'll get bored. But Lutz Fannenstiel, I think, should be our reserve goalie. Running through our team today, we've got John Burridge in goal, a centre-back pairing of Taribo West and Paolo De Silva, left-back Pierre Wome, right-back Greg Halford. In midfield, Rohan Ricketts, John Viafara, Luke Chadwick, and up front, Nicholas Anelka and Mohamed Kalon, alongside your choice of Bent, Lewis, Ibrahimovic or Bellamy. Thank you. Goodbye.